seconds. Okay. So we're back with the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We're going to do another take two for today's episode. So we are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions LLC. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Excited for our guest. I remember him playing with the Boston Bruins. Give us the intro, Andrew. Yeah, so today we have Fred Knipscher with us. So Fred began playing the UCHL for the Omaha Lancers during the 89 and 90 season for his final one and later committed to St. Cloud uh, State University from 90 to 93, notching 60 points and 36 contests his junior year, which earned his first professional contract with the Boston Bruins in 1993. He began his pro career with Providence, but made his NHL debut his rookie season in 94, as well as playing his first postseason performances. He continued to develop with the Bruins organization, playing another 16 games and another playoff uh, appearance. After his time with the Bruins, he later joined the St. Louis Blues organization and continued playing professionally throughout the AHL and IHL until officially retiring in 2000. So please welcome our guest today, Fred Knipshire. Fred, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great. How are you guys? Yeah, we're doing pretty good today. So, Fred, I want to go ahead and ask the first question. The UCHL is obviously becoming a hotbed for NHL prospects now, but, uh, you know, back then and during the day, I imagine that it wasn't very popular. And just curious of what your experience was like and what the league in general was like um, back in the day compared to now. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a little bit different, especially my first couple seasons. Um, I played – I started in 87 when I was 17, and – um, I was the youngest player in the league and one of only two players that were in high school and our whole entire team. And then, um, you know, we, we started a small arena um, called Hitchcock and it sat about 400 people and, and uh, you know, it was fun, but it was just, it, 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 it was definitely different. And then by my third season, um, we moved to an arena called Exarbon. It's at 6,500 people. We were on every single news station, front page of the newspaper, sold out every single game, 6,500, 7,000 people standing room. And, um, and we went from, like I said, having two high school kids on our team to right, last season, I believe we had somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or nine high school players. So it just definitely changed. Um, the league was a lot older back then than it is today. Now that, you know, most of the kids are in high school, um, juniors, seniors in high school, um, maybe one year out. Um, so it's a, an older, much older league back then, um, but it was great. It was uh, it was it was an awesome experience um, to be able to play in front of all those fans and you know arguably the best organization in the league. And uh, and now the, the whole entire league has grown to where it competes with uh, the major juniors in Canada, and it's a great stepping stone for young kids to follow their dreams. So it was it was amazing. Yeah, so Freddie, I'm curious, American-born player from Fort Wayne, Indianapolis, for people that don't know. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious of what led your decision to uh, playing at the collegiate level rather than juniors, because I can't imagine junior hockey being that big for Americans back in the early 90s, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, I had an opportunity to play over in Canada, and um, for me it just came down to um, I just felt more comfortable when I went and met my Billets family over in Omaha and um, the ownership group was great. They were awesome to me. Um, and the, the other factor was I was still in high school. So to be able to go to high school in, in the U S was, was important. And then um, I also played baseball. So um, I was playing baseball here and I, I was able to play high school baseball still. And that was very important to me. So all those, uh, factors came in and, and um you know and obviously i did have a dream to play uh, college hockey at some point and wasn't sure if that was ever going to happen but um, um by staying in the u.s i was able to uh still have that opportunity so that that really was the deciding factor so fred you play at st cloud state and in your time there um you know stats only tell a a portion of a story you have 111 points in about 109 games, according to uh, the stats. What can you talk to us a little bit about your experience there? You certainly lit up the uh, the red light. Yeah, it was great. I, I was very fortunate. Um, St. Cloud. When I when I uh, decided to go to St. Cloud, um, they were uh, brand new to the WCHA and Division One hockey. 
um, my, my freshman year was uh, their second year as a Division One WCHA program, and we they just built a brand new arena, the Herb Brooks Arena, and um, you know so they were basically starting out, and I was able to come in and, and you know Coach Dahl. Coach Craig Dahl gave me a great opportunity, and, and I was being recruited by a few other schools, and, and he basically told me from, from the beginning that if I went to St. Cloud, I was going to be a big part of their program and, and be able to play every game from, from the moment I stepped on the ice, and, and that was important to me. Um, I wanted to play. I didn't want to sit on the bench. I didn't want to sit up in the stands, and I had a, an opportunity to go to North Dakota that's as well to sign with North Dakota and they were the number one team in the country and absolutely loaded. Um, I think they ended up having seven or eight NHL players on that, on that team if I had gone there. And I, I just felt like if I went to North Dakota, I was going to sit on the bench and, or sit up in the stands and not play. And, and uh, um, actually my line mate in Omaha was my best friend at the time. Uh, him and I both went to North Dakota and St. Cloud on recruiting trips and got offered by both schools. And, and uh, we had told each other we were going to go to the same school together and, and continue playing because we, we, we had great chemistry on the ice. And he ended up going to North Dakota. I went to St. Cloud. And, and I think his freshman or freshman years, I played every single game. And I think he ended up playing like 15 games that year. And uh, the second year, he, he barely played, and, and I got to play every game. I, the only games I missed was from injury, and so they gave me a great opportunity. And, and uh, you know, once I was able to get my feet wet and get used to the speed of the game, and and uh, really get my confidence, it just I, I continued to grow and um, got stronger. And, and by my third season, um, I just had all kinds of confidence and, and just played really well. I had a couple of great line mates and, and um, Greg Hagan and Tony Gruba. And we were together the entire season, every single game, which helped a lot. You know, we played the same two guys for 36 games and that helps as well. So, um, you know, I was fortunate. I stayed healthy my last year and, and uh, you know, had a lot of fun and put up a lot of numbers. So it was great. Yeah. So, <clears throat> You had earned your first professional contract through your performance of your junior year with St. Cloud. So undrafted player, not even sure if you had entered in the draft at the time, but regardless, undrafted and you're getting your first professional contract before you even finish your fourth year in college. So two kind of a two-part question. Take us through how the Bruins contacted you and how, how did that go being offered your first pro contract and how did they notice you? Were they at the games? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was really a whirlwind. It was it was crazy. Um, I don't know if you guys know or not, but I'm originally from West Wellston, Mass, and um, I played from when I was I started playing hockey in the Worcester Kiwi League and Holy Cross, and um, played for the Worcester Crusaders until I was 11 years old. And then we moved to Indiana uh, when I was 11. So um, the Bruins were my team. They were my favorite team. But, you know, my dad used to take us to. You know, at least one game a year and and uh, you know I, I tell the story a lot that I never dreamed of playing in the NHL because I never thought that was something that was even attainable um, you know so uh, and then all of a sudden my you know, my first two years I, I had I had good, good freshman and sophomore years they were decent but nothing to write home about and you know my goal at that time after my sophomore year was I wanted to play in Europe. My dad is from um, Amsterdam and the Netherlands. And, and um, you know, my goal was to be able to go over to Europe and play over there and, and you know, have fun with it and make a good living over in Europe. And, and then all of a sudden I went to, after my sophomore season, I went to a, a hockey, uh, all summer hockey camp called Minnesota Hockey Schools in Brainerd, Minnesota. And that's, basically one of the top training sites for all the top players in the country. And, and the, um, the, the family that owned it um, was Chuck Grillo, and he was a scout for the um, uh, San Jose Sharks. At the time. And so after my sophomore year, I went up there and spent the entire summer nine weeks. And uh, I was lucky enough that they put me with all of the San Jose Sharks draft picks and uh, uh, first year players 
that played the year before pro hockey. And so I trained the entire summer with all these kids that were already pros and, and um, a lot of the elite college players that summer. And um, the way that camp worked is you, you trained during the day, worked out, and then at night you had a game. And we were all we were split up in teams, and, and long story short, I ended up leading the entire summer program in scoring. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, these guys all play pro hockey, <laughs> and my confidence just went through the roof. And I got back to school my, for my junior year, and it just it just carried over, and I had so much confidence that season, and was playing real well. And um, uh, by Christmas. Uh, I'll never forget this. Right before Christmas, um, we were in uh, we were in um, Colorado College, and I had I think it was eight points in two games. And Team USA coaching staff was there because that was an Olympic year. It was it was going into an Olympic year, so they were scouting for the Olympic team. And and uh, I got home, and we had our break for Christmas. And when I got back, my phone was just blowing up with with agents wanting wanted to interview me. And I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea how to, how the, the process worked. But um, long story short, I, I ended up meeting with a bunch of agents and signed with AO Sports. Um, and uh, at the end of the season, um, I got invited to play for Team USA in the uh, called the Europa Cup up in Canada. It was Six Nations and and. Uh, had a lot of teams at that point scouting me and from the NHL, you know, second half of the season, college season, and then up in Canada. And so my agent had said that Boston was one of the teams that was interested. And so I got nervous because that was obviously the team I would want to sign with. And I said, okay. And he said, well, they're supposed to be up at the, you know, they're going to be at the tournament. You know, we'll look for them. I'll be there. My agent will be there. You know, we'll, we'll try to get, them, get you introduced to them. So, uh, before the tournament, we had a week-long training camp up in New York and uh, at Lake Placid, and then we went off to Canada and, and uh, played the whole tournament. Everything went well. I played really well. Had a great time, but we never saw anybody from Boston. We saw all these other scouts. I got introduced to uh, seven or eight different uh, teams while I was there. Uh, talked to a lot of them, but Boston wasn't one. I got back to school, and um, a couple of days after I got back to school, my agent called me, and, and he said, "You're not going to believe this." He said, "But the scout that for your, for the Bruins was actually your head coach." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, the our, our head coach at the time ended up being the scout the scout for the Bruins," and he said that uh, they told them that they didn't care about my on ice performance. They already knew that I could play. They'd watched me during the season, and and uh, they only thing they cared about. They wanted to know what kind of a person I was, and was I a good teammate, and did I work hard, and on and off the ice and things like that. So Boston, you know, they already knew that I could play the game. They just wanted to know my character more than anything else. And they said, so they're they're very interested. They're going to send over a contract. And so over the next uh, ten days, I ended up having um, three teams make offers and. I told funny stories. I told my agent when, when, when they, when they said the offers were coming in, I said, I don't care about anybody else I'm signing with Boston. I don't care what they offer me. He's like, well, let's not tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's get the offer and then, and we'll, 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 we'll go the offers and we'll go from there. He goes, but I don't think I'm going to let them know that that's, that's where you want to sign. I said, I don't, I said, that's, we were laughing. I said, yeah, but I don't care. I'm, I'm signing there no matter what. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, they ended up actually giving me the best offer, and and uh, it worked out, and it was it was wonderful, and it was a, it wasn't even a dream come true because, like I said, it wasn't even something that I ever fathomed that was a possibility, and and it just happened so fast. I mean, it was literally over the you know a six seven month time frame where you know my life turned upside down for the better. So it was great. Wow! Wow! So how, what was training camp like then for you? So you're signed, you go to training camp, obviously training camp goes well. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I was, um, I got invited. So, so right after all that happened, when I signed, I, I was invited to try out for team USA. For the Olympic team. So that was the last 
of the 94 Olympic team. And that was going to be the last Olympic team that didn't bring professionals. Um, it was going to be the last amateur team. And uh, we had a camp. I think we had six, five or six guys that had just signed NHL contracts. I was one of them um, that, that had done that. And they were going to allow us to, to try out and play um, if, the, if our NHL affiliate would, would allow us to go. Um, so I, I went to camp, did real well, uh, made it all the way to the final cuts. And then um, when it came down to time to try to you know, decide where I was going to go, you know, I was going into Boston or going to go with Team USA. Um, I went to training camp. I still had to go to training camp in Boston. So I went to training camp in Boston, and um, it, it went really well. I played probably some of my best hockey and um, kind of surprised myself. I was very nervous when I got there, obviously, and uh, played well and, and played well enough to um, that uh, on opening night in New York, I was still on the team. And, and so um, – you know, they, they decided not to send me to Team USA. They decided to keep me. And so I, I watched the, the – I was a scratch the first night in New York. But I was there, which was cool. And then they, uh, then they sent me down the next day to play the opening night in Providence. And we played Portland. I'll never forget this. We played Portland at home. And about halfway through the game, there's a line brawl. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, this is – this is a little different than college. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, so um, and I ended up scoring my first my first professional goal that night, and then after the game, I got called back up to Boston and uh, got to play my first NHL game the next day against Quebec. So um, it was kind of a whirlwind, and and uh, but uh, it was a lot of fun, and and uh, <clears throat> you know, I spent about a week that I played one game, about a week, and then they sent me back down to Providence to get some more training. And, some more confidence but it was uh it was it was amazing i mean to be to show up um you know i showed up to boston a couple weeks before camp and and uh a bunch of the guys were 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 skating you know on their own at one of the ranks and so i showed up and and walk in the locker room and there's cam neely and ray bork and adam Oates and you know glenn wesley and some of these guys that I literally idolized, um, Ray Bork was my favorite player growing up. I wore seven and 77 my whole life because of him. And, and all of a sudden I walk into the locker room and he's standing there and walks up to me and introduces himself and says, Hey, I'm Ray Bork. I'm like, yeah, I know you're most of my wall. So, <laughs> so do you, was, um, Fred, Fred, do you actually, uh, like tell Think he cut out Ray Bork that, or do you just kind of play? What? What? I, I'm wondering, what does a player actually do when that happens? Yeah, you know, I, I just, I was so starstruck. I, I just, I, I just kind of giggled, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I, I know <laughs> who you are. And he kind of laughed, and we shook hands, and then, and then he just, he just, he was great. He asked, he, he asked what type of player I was. He goes, so what? You know what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a forward. And he's like, well, okay. And he's like, well, are you a scorer? Are you a checker? Are you, a, you know, and I'm like, well, I, I said, well, in college, I, I scored a lot of goals. And he's like, okay, great. You know, and he kind of giggled. And then, uh, you know, that was kind of it. I just, I, I was just so in awe that I, I could barely speak, honestly. And, um, you know, then we got on the ice and, and they were great. I mean, I can tell you um, that, Ray Bork is, is hands down, you know, when you, when you meet your idols and you meet people that you looked up to as a kid, you know, sometimes they they don't live up to what you think of, what you make them to be, be in your head. And right. he, you know, Ray Bork far and away exceeded who I ever thought, whatever thought he could have been. He was just the nicest guy, could not have been nicer, invited us over to my, my girlfriend at the time and ended up being my wife. Invited us over to uh, his house for, for dinner, and and you know he didn't have to do that, and uh, he was just he was amazing, and it was great, made me feel a lot better, and and honestly I think that helped me when I went into training camp because 
you know, I skated with those guys for a couple weeks and, you know, and, and Ray was super nice to me and, and made me feel welcome and feel part of everything. And, and it really, I, I, I believe that that had a lot to do with why, why I had such a good first training camp because I just felt comfortable. So the, so the old garden uh, certainly meant a lot to you. You've been there growing up and now you get to play there for the first time. What is that like? <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, that night was, I mean, every game that I played there was, was incredible, but you know, the, the, the first game I got to play there and we didn't practice there, which I, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but we, we practiced off site. And, and so my first time on the garden ice was pregame, you know, it was a pregame skate the night or the day before the day of uh, our, my first game. And just going out there, I mean, it's like a, almost like an out of body experience. Like you don't believe it's actually happening. I mean, the first time I ever stepped foot in the garden, I was six years old watching the Bruins play the Canadians in, in the playoffs. It was my first ever experience in an NHL game. And, and I remember where I was sitting. I remember, you know, everything about that night when I was six. And, and all of a sudden now I'm one of the guys that's walking out of the tunnel. And it was just, it was incredible. And, and you know, <laughs> people always, you know, people ask this question all the time. And, and what I tell them is it's, it's undescribable. I mean, I was, I remember the first faceoff I was on the ice, I was shaking so hard and I, and I couldn't barely breathe. I mean, I think my first shift was probably 30 seconds because I was, I was so nervous and so breathing so hard <laughs> that uh, I, I was going 150 miles an hour the entire shift. And I was just, I was so gassed, but yeah, I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't feel anything. It was just, it was a blur. And it was, it was incredible though. I mean, you guys, I don't, you know, I'm sure you guys know, or I know your dad knows that, you know, that building, everybody's on top of you and it's loud and, and it's just, it's incredible. And, and there's nothing, there's no other arena that's like it, maybe Chicago stadium, but you know, that, that place was just incredible. And, and I'm very grateful and, and uh, very lucky I got to play there. Yeah, and so you had mentioned uh, that moment where you were six years old watching that Bruins and Canadians playoff game. So um, I don't want to spoil the story. So, Fred, if you don't mind, your rookie season, uh, first round, I believe. Go ahead and take us through that game seven with Montreal. Yeah. Um, yeah, that whole that whole series was incredible. Um, to know that you're going to play much Montreal and, you know, and what that means, you know, being on a, being a Bruin and, and what it means if you're a Canadian. I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest rivalry in sports. And, and, uh, I got to play game one and, and we won the game and, um, that was an incredible experience. And then game two, I actually was, was a, a healthy scratch and they went a different direction with the lineup and, and we actually lost. And I was, I was, I was bummed that I wasn't going to get to play. I thought, well, maybe I'm not going to play any game. I thought I played pretty well in game one. But uh, um, coach came to me um, after pregame, after game, or after pregame skate, before game two, and he told me that, you know, don't get my head down. Just stay in it. You're going to be okay. You're going to get to get another chance and just be ready. And, and then we lost game two. And so we go to game three in, in Montreal and, and, I was lucky enough to be back in the lineup and, and ended up scoring a goal in Montreal in game three and played really well. And, and, uh, and then fast forward, I get to play the rest of you know, play the rest of the series. And, and then going into game seven, I think I slept the night before. I think I maybe slept an hour. I was so nervous and I just, you know, you, you, you just don't want to, you don't want to mess up. You don't want to make a mistake. That's going to cost your, your team a series. And, and, you know, playing, nothing really prepares you for, for playing in a, in a, in a situation like that. And so, um, yeah, I was, I was as nervous as I've ever been in my life. And, and, uh, then the game started and we, we got off to a great start. Um, we played really well and, uh, and then, yeah, I was, uh, I was lucky enough to be, to be able to score a goal in that game and which ended up being the game winning goal. And, and, uh, it was off of a great pass by Cam Stewart and, was actually one of my buddies back then and still today and he made a great play and great pass and and uh i was lucky enough to put it over patrick was uh, shoulder and, and 
And then later in the game, um, you know, as the game went on, Coach Sutter was really good at um, playing playing guys that were playing well and and showing confidence in, in, in us young kids. And uh, I was killing penalties and, and ended up uh, getting a, a nice assist on Ray Borg's short-handed goal as well. So, um, yeah, ended up being one of the probably the best games I've ever played in my life. Um, for whatever reason, after the first shift that game, I wasn't nervous. I felt great. Um, I don't know if it was the buzz in the stands or the situation, but it's just, you know, to this day, all these years later, I still remember it like it was yesterday, and it was incredible. Um, you know, I was very fortunate and lucky to, to be given that opportunity and, and shown so much faith by Coach Sutter, and, and uh, things worked out. So bring us inside the locker room. Uh, you know, all of us know the the rivalry or the hatred, I should say, between Boston and Montreal. Is it as fierce in the locker room? We had on Shane Corson a few months ago, and we asked him on the Montreal side, and he said Montreal hated Boston. There was just no doubt about it. What was it like in the Bruins locker room? Yeah, it was the same. I mean, it was there was definitely um, a difference. Um, vibe or, or, you know, feeling about us playing Montreal. Um, and it was, it was, it was weird in, in, a, in, a, in a weird way, you know, after we won the first, when we beat Montreal, we played, uh, played uh, New Jersey in the next round. <clears throat> and even though it was a second round, I, rem- I, I remember, you know, I, as I, once the series was over, you know, season was over, series over, I remember thinking back that how much more intense, everything was in round one compared to round two. Not that we weren't prepared or we weren't tense, intense or anything like that, but it's just, there was just a different feeling by the city, by the fans, by the players, the organization, um, the meetings that we had, and how, you know, how some of the, you know, retired players would talk to us about, you know, playing Montreal and things like that. I mean, it was just, it was definitely a different vibe. And, and, you know, after games during the during the Montreal series, when the games were over, um, you know, you go out to eat or whatever, and the fans were just jacked and excited, and you know, and and you know, saying all kinds of things about Montreal, and and so you could tell it was just it was just different. And um, I remember when we won, when we won Game Seven, um, they made us actually stay in the building for about an hour and a half after the game. Um, usually we're out of there in about 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes, but we have to stay for an hour and a half, two hours with our families and everybody in the, in, in the garden because they were basically right outside on, on Causeway. They were basically <laughs> burning the city down. I mean, it was, and it was round one. I mean, I, I they wouldn't let us out of the building until it, they calmed down. It was that crazy. So you, you definitely knew, um, when you played Montreal, it was different. It was the same when we went up there and played on the road. I mean, you know, we pulled up for game three, the first first game in Montreal, and there's, you know, a thousand fans outside our bus, outside the hotel. And, and some some of them were our fans and some of them were just wanted to yell us. So it was definitely uh, an amazing experience and, and uh, something I'll never forget. So even uh, during that series, even uh, Demers, the coach, Montreal coach, had said that Boston, you know, it shouldn't have gone to game seven, that Boston was clearly the better team. Uh, By this point in time, the Bruins have sort of had that Montreal uh, jinx off of their back from the late 80s into the the 90s. Was there a better uh, sense of um, confidence in the Boston locker room that they weren't the underdog anymore versus Montreal? Yeah, well, we had a we had a great team that year. I mean, honestly, we, you know, we, we it, it's, I don't know if you guys remember, but we were we were actually in the second round against New Jersey. Uh, we were up two games to none. I mean, we and we finished first in our division. I mean, we had a we we were we were loaded. I mean, that team really should have made it to the Stanley Cup, and um, um, so we had a lot of confidence. I mean, our team was very confident, and and you know, but. But yeah, I mean, the media and everybody else, you know, kept reminding us that we hadn't beaten Montreal in however many years in the playoffs, and, and Montreal had won the Stanley Cup the year before, and 
and so it was definitely um there was definitely added pressure and added excitement to the series because we had such a good team montreal had won the stanley cup the year before you know we hadn't beaten them in however many years at that point um so it just added extra fuel to the fire. And then, you know, we were up two games to one, and then they win the next two, and we're going back to Montreal and down three games to two for game six. And, we're you know, we're do or die, and, and we end up winning game six and then obviously winning game seven. So, um, yeah, it was – there was a lot of pressure, and, and it was it was very noticeable in our meetings and in the locker room and, and honestly just around the city. Um, you know, like I told you earlier, everywhere we went, um, the fans reminded us what was going on. So, but it was fun. That's, that's what makes it exciting and fun. And that's why this is, is so incredible because the fans get into it and care and, and, and make it that much more fun. Yeah, and so I'm curious, Freddie. So obviously, the the game of hockey has changed drastically, especially since when you played. Um, but the one thing I really miss is the hatred and those rivalries. And we see some good ones. I mean, you see the Rangers in Washington have something now. Uh, you know, the Bruins and Lightning or Bruins in Toronto, but they're missing that hatred fact. Because um, every time that you know Boston Montreal played, I mean, it was a bloodbath every time. What do you think yeah. is missing from that element? How come there isn't that? I wouldn't. I don't want to say competitiveness, but where what happened to that emotion? Where do you think that that is gone? I, I think it, there's a few factors. I think one, um, you know, a lot of the players now work out. You know, work out in similar areas, or work out together, or play together when they were younger, or you know, a lot of the systems bringing you up to get to the NHL. Um, you're just a lot more aware of the guys that you're playing against and with. And with. I mean, I didn't know. I barely knew anybody in the NHL when I got there. I mean, I was coming out of college and I knew, you know, there's only a few college players, so I didn't know anybody. So um, you have that. And then secondly, I think a big part of it is just the, the rules. The rules of the games are, are so different now. I mean, it's, and it's great. I mean, I, I love, I love the, the sport. Now. I mean, I've always loved hockey, but, but the games now are just so much more entertaining. It's so fast. It's so, athletic it's 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 so offensive um you know it's it, there's just more of a premium on skill and and speed and, and scoring back when you know back in the 70s 80s 90s you know it was the, the emphasis wasn't so much yeah you you wanted skill but but shoot i mean most fourth lines were guys that were six foot three and couldn't skate you're right. <laughs> you know? and your sick your fifth six seventh defenseman are guys that were six two six three six four six five that couldn't skate i mean literally couldn't skate i mean i remember playing and i would never say names but i i played with a handful of guys you know on each team that, that literally you sit there and go how is this guy in the nhl I was a guy, a professional hockey player. And then you watch him beat the yeah. shit out of somebody, and you're like, okay, well, I get it. I mean, it was, so so the fighting factor, the physical factor, the the intimidation factor, back when I played, was a huge part of the game, and that's just not that way anymore. There's the the game is not about it. I mean, yes, you still want to try to intimidate your your opponent, and you want to stick up for your teammates and all that stuff. And we still see some of that, but it's not. The, the fear factor of the game it has been taken out. I mean, I remember going and, you know, we play Chicago and Rob Probert and, you know, those guys are, you go and you play Chris Nyland or, I mean, you, you know, Tony Twist. I mean, you're literally, you know, you're scared to death to do anything wrong because they're going to kill you. And yeah. <laughs> now, now it's different. It's not that way anymore. Um, you know, now it's about, like I said earlier, it's about speed and skill and, scoring and offense and and you still have to be tough I mean, at the end of the day to be any any type of pro pro athlete whether it's hockey football anything you have to be tough you have to you have to be able to play through adversity and injury and and stick up for yourself and especially in hockey you have to be able to do that but but it's yeah the, the rules of the game have have kind of taken some of that out you know and I think that's the biggest part. The, the biggest change is, is uh, the intimidation factor. It's just not the same as it was back then. 
players today have uh, they can review their last shift on the bench with a little iPad, uh, you know, special uh, skills coach, video coaches, all these things for these players. Uh, besides the team approach, how did you used to prepare for a game? against another you know another team or if you're going to face them a home and home how did you use to prepare sure yeah i mean it, it, nowadays it's obviously a lot more technical and and like you said you see guys looking at the ipads and stuff but you know my my rookie year um film just started to kind of take shape um film study and things like that we we would watch a little bit it wasn't um something that we did constantly but um, we definitely would watch, you know, power plays, penalty kills to try to get some some tendencies, um, you know, especially in the playoffs to kind of when we got to the playoffs, um, both the years that I was lucky enough to play in the playoffs, we watched a lot more video. Uh, but again, it was more special teams video. Um, and then what I did, I, I was lucky enough to, you know, my, my, my agent, um, Kurt Overhart, was kind of a kind of ahead of his time at, at back then, and and he had hired got me with um, uh, Diana McNabb, who was um, uh, her husband actually played for the Bruins back in the seventies, and um, she was a, a sports psychologist, nutritionist, and and she was actually a, an Olympic uh, downhill skier for Team Canada, and so he got us hooked up with her got me hooked up with her and, and all of his clients and and she really helped me with the mental side of the game um i did a lot of um uh, meditation and uh a lot of you know a lot of that stuff i mean where i would literally she taught us to or taught me to you know literally play the entire game out in my head the night before the game the more you know right before i go to sleep for my pregame um so the mental aspect, she definitely helps. And then anytime that, you know, if you get into a little rut or a slump or whatever, I would just call her and we would go over different things. And, you know, are you doing anything different? Are you eating different? Are you sleeping different? Um, so that's kind of really was kind of the start of all of that stuff. Um, I know a lot of guys, a lot of guys got into it. And some guys, uh, you know, thought it was kind of, witchcraft but i think the guys that kind of um took to it definitely saw a difference i know i did and uh, um yeah that's i mean i think back then it was more individual it was more you know what did you do to get yourself ready and the coaches did you know the coaches would point things out and help but but yeah the, the video side of it just wasn't as prevalent as it is today and i and i think that you know that's a big reason why the game's so much different as well today is, is, is all the technology and the videos. So, so yeah, that's good. And yeah, so I, I'm curious too. So we're going to fast forward a little bit now. You yeah. did, you did suit up a game with the St. Louis blues and then you continue to um, grind down the AHL, but mostly the yeah. IHL. And so I'm, I'm only 24 Freddie. So the IHL is kind of uh you know, a history lesson for me every time. So anytime we have guests on here, I like to ask, but I heard it's like a wild, wild West. So uh, what, what was, how crazy was that league? At least, at least now during your time in the late nineties. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I moved from Massachusetts to Fort Wayne, Indiana when I was 11. Uh, we had the Fort Wayne Comets and, and the Fort Wayne Comets were a big IHL team. So I grew up, you know, from 11 to 17 when I left home to play. Um, I grew up watching the Comets, watching the IHL, and um, I was actually lucky enough that uh, um, one of the coaches for the Comets, Al Sims, who ended up coaching in the NHL, and actually I was lucky enough to play for him at one point. Um, he was a coach for the Comets for a few years, and my dad got to know him real well and, and uh, told him about me. And, and so Al let me come out when I was 13, 14, 15, 16 years old and skate with the comments and during practice. And so I, I was able to, at a very early age, watch all the games, be around the players. Um, so I, I, I knew the league real well at that point. Um, and then so my first, I ended up uh, signing with the Blackhawks and um, I was sent to Indianapolis 
and that was my first stint in the IHL, and and uh, it was different. I mean, you know, the IHL was a lot older, um, a lot older, more older players than the AHL was. The AHL was a much younger league, um, so the IHL was more guys that were maybe had already played in the NHL towards the tail end of their their careers, playing in the I. And really, and at that time, the IHL was really trying to separate itself from the AHL. And so they started paying, you know, signing guys to contracts at bigger, bigger salaries and, and trying to bring guys in and, you know, set up a guy signing a two-way, with, say, Boston or St. Louis or whatever, and, and making, you know, 30, 40, 50 grand. They would sign with, you know, say the Orlando Solar Bears, and they would give them 100 grand. So they were really trying to separate themselves from the AHL. And so the league was just an older league. And, and then you had, again, that, 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 you know, I call it the goon factor or the fear factor. You had a lot of guys that were still hanging on and trying to make a name for themselves. And, and so, you know, we pretty much every game was at least one or two fights every night. And, and that was a big part of the game. And, and it was just different. It was just a much different um, animal because of the, the age of the players and and um, the, the style of the game. It was just a different game. But um, if, as I look back now, it was probably one of the mistakes, biggest mistakes that I made in my career was I had an opportunity to sign with Philadelphia or Chicago um, after I was with St. Louis. And if I would have signed with Philly, I would have gone to the AHL in Philadelphia. And I decided uh, I decided to start with Chicago because I, I figured if I got sent down, I'd play in Indianapolis, which is just an hour and a half from Fort Wayne, and my family could watch me and see me. And 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 so I signed with Chicago, and and I still say I still look back and 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 think that was probably the biggest mistake that I ever made. If I would have, I believe if I would have signed in Philly, I, I would have had more of a more of uh more more nhl games played and i would have stayed in the hl when i was you know or or philly so um it was just a different different animal and you know it's hard to explain unless you played in both <laughs> but i would yeah. say the age was different the biggest difference it was old it was an older league so you mentioned uh your coach al sims are you talking about the old boston bruins defenseman What was what was Al like? I mean, he was he I, he was one of my favorite players in the uh, in the seventies yeah. when I was watching phenomenal. the Bruins. Yeah, he was phenomenal. He, uh, like I said, I was, you know, I, I was thirteen. I think it was thirteen at the time, and and my dad owned an auto body shop in Fort Wayne, and and uh, he got to, he knew the owners real well. He used to fix their cars and do some paint stuff for them at the rink and stuff like that, and. Uh, and through that, he ended up meeting Al and told Al about me. And, you know, Al was a pretty good player. And, you know, I think like most parents, they, they, they talk about their kids in glowing terms. And, you know, I think Al probably thought, okay, well, well, hell, if he's that good, send him out here. Well, you know, he can skate with us. So I remember going to the, going to the rink. And I was going to get to skate with him for the first time. And I, was, I was 13, and it was a pregame skate. So he said, well, let's come out for pregame. It's, it's optional. He can skate. And I think he just wanted to see if I could actually do what my dad said I could do. And, and, I, and I went out there and held my own at 13 with these guys. And, and I remember Al pulling me aside and kind of giggling. And he's like giving me shit. He's like, hell, you want to play tonight? <laughs> <laughs> You know that that was a big confidence boost for me for a 13 year old kid to to be able to be out with pro hockey players and you know like I said I mean the Fort Wayne Comets were were everything to us in Fort Wayne and and uh, he took a liking to me and um, and then from there I, I literally I, I would skate with him you know seven eight nine ten times a year um, he let me come out and skate and and as I got older and got bigger you know it really helped helped me not only confidence wise, but just also just to, you know, understanding the game better and, and seeing how these guys prepared and what they went through and all that. And I think it definitely helped me get better as I got older. And then, and then, yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to, uh, towards the end of my career, um, I was with, uh, I got, uh, Al was coaching in, um, Milwaukee for the Milwaukee Admirals and, 
and I wasn't sure it was the summertime and I wasn't sure if I was going to retire or keep playing. And, and, uh, Al called me up and asked if I wanted to come to Milwaukee and, and, and give it a, you know, give it another shot because they were with the Nashville Predators. And so I did, I went to Milwaukee and played for Al, I was his captain and, and just had a great time. He was, he was one of my top two or three favorite coaches I got to play for. He was just, he was a great players coach and knew the game and fun to play for, you know, everything was about enjoying every day and, you know, working hard, but just enjoying the day and, and uh, getting better. And he was awesome. I mean, like I said, he was definitely one of my top two or three favorite coaches I ever played for. So while we, uh, our parent company, as we said, is a block a black and gold uh, Boston network, Andrew and I, we actually live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we go, we go to the East Coast games here with the Oilers. And I, I lo- we do have uh, some Midwestern listeners as well. But uh, for our East Coast listeners, there is quite a bit of uh, underrated hockey in the Midwest. You know, I mean, we just had on our podcast last week, uh, Justin Hodgman, who played for, uh, you know, the Comets there in Indianapolis for a number of years. Matter of fact, he still lives there. And man, there's some good hockey coming out of uh, the East Coast League Midwest team. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the, the hockey there is, is much better than people give it credit for, um, especially Indiana, Illinois. Obviously, Michigan's a huge hotbed. Um, Pennsylvania, that kind of those areas right there. Um, Ohio, um, Ohio as well. Um, that area um, we, we call it the Mid Am District for USA Hockey. It's 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 huge, and um, you know I was lucky enough. I I, I coached uh, coached my son's age group from six years old to to seventeen or sixteen, so for ten years, and we we won a national championship at twelve years old, and and um, you know, Pee Wee year, we won the nationals up in San Jose and, you know, a little team from Indiana and, and uh, you know, we beat all the big boys and, and it was great. And, and off that team, we ended up having um, four kids get division one scholarships and um, another six kids played division two. And so, you know, to have 10 kids on one team from Indianapolis, Indiana play college hockey and four of them get division one scholarships. Um, you know, it's, it's, it just shows you that, that the hockey is much better than people kind of give it credit for. And, and it's still going that way now. I mean, we just had another kid that coached um, a couple of days ago, just um, committed to Denver university and is playing for team USA under 17 team right now. And, um, you know, we've had other kids like John Michael Lyles, who's from Zionsville, Indiana, but had a great career in the NHL. So, you know, the Midwest hockey is much better than I think people give it credit for and and uh you know that's what i try to tell parents too when i'm coaching it really doesn't matter where you come from it doesn't matter where you're playing you look at austin matthews you know played in arizona his whole career and now he's arguably one of the best players in the world so it, it really doesn't matter where you where you come from or where you grow up it really what matters is your dedication to the sport and, and you know how hard you're gonna try and how much you're going to put into it and and you know the effort that you're that goes along with it so yeah it's 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 pretty uh it's pretty good and so i have a random question fred um you know i'm always amazed at some of the um the markets that the the minor league teams have been in over the many many years what was your time like not only as just a hockey market but just as your experience in general in kentucky yeah <laughs> of all places. So yeah, when I got uh, when I got sent there, I was actually playing in Utah. I was with the Islanders organization. I was in, in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I loved it. I loved Utah. It was one of my favorite places to play. And I got and I ended up getting sent uh, towards the end of the year. But there's probably maybe a month and a half, two months left. I got sent to Kentucky, and I was. I was pissed. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm oh, sorry. I don't know if I can say that on podcast. Yeah, you're all I good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I mean, I called my agent. I was fucking yelling at, I'm like, what in the world? I'm not going. And I remember calling my wife and I tell my wife, I'm not going and I'm, I'm quitting. And, and so, um, and my agent's like, listen, just go, I'll get you out of there as fast as I can. Just go keep your head up. You know, this, that, and the other. So I get to, 
you know, Lexington, Kentucky, and, and it's the home of, you know, the University of Kentucky, which is basketball country. And um, our team was horrible. I mean, when I got there, I think they had lost something in the neighborhood of like 19 in a row when I got there, which, you know, when, first of all, when, when I, I came from Utah, which we were first in the league and playing great. And I was like second or third in scoring and, you know, having a great year. And then I get sent to middle of nowhere and, and on the worst team in pro hockey. And, and it was just, it was no fun. I mean, going to the rink every day was miserable. It sucked. But I will say the fans, I mean, they drew like crazy. It was, it was unbelievable. Like as bad as our team was, we, we got a ton of fans. Um, they packed the arena. I don't think they really knew what they were cheering for. But, <laughs> but they drove <laughs> and, and uh, you know, they were very excited about our team. And even though we weren't very good, they, you know, we packed the ranks. And, and, you know, the best part of being there was we got to go to Keelan, which is a huge horse track down the road. And so we got to go watch the horses all the time and got to go to these beautiful horse ranches and, and got to go to the horse races. And that was the best part about being there was, was the off ice, you know, hanging out with the horses and the horse tracks and, and stuff like that. So other than that, I mean, I was there for, God, I think it was there two months and it was, I don't even, I, I don't even, I, I put it so far out of my memory. <laughs> I don't really remember much about it. Um, and it was more mostly just because our team was just not very good. And we, you know, we just didn't have, I mean, we should, I think we maybe won five or six games when I was there. So, wow. Um, wow. It just, yeah, it just wasn't very fun um, on the ice, off the ice. It was great on the ice. It was not fun at all. And then, and, and luckily I ended up, so I don't think it was maybe two weeks before the end of the season, I actually got sent back to Utah at the finish the season with them. And, and, uh, was a lot happier. <laughs> so before we uh, close it out with our lightning round questions, which I'll explain how that works after sure. this, but uh, for our listeners and for, of course, us as well, Fred, go ahead and tell us what you're up to nowadays. Well, yeah, appreciate it. Um, so I do a few things. I, I uh, have a CBD company that I'm part of called Simply Nano. Um, it's a, it's a CBD product. That's a cream, a cream based, um, so I go around and, and uh, I pitch that um, for the company, um, which is a lot of fun. Um, the product is amazing. I mean, uh, for people that don't know about CBD or maybe have heard a little bit about it, it's it's uh, hands down the best product I've ever used. I, I've used since my retirement. I mean, I've I have tons of aches and pains, and I, I do want to link with my elbow. So my elbow always hurts when it gets cold, and my neck and my my shoulder. And you know, over the years, I've I've taken a leave, and I've taken I've put every rub on my body you can possibly put on it. And um, once I started using CBD about a year and a half ago, I've I have taken one aspirin, one Tylenol, one Aleve, nothing since I started taking CBD. So um, it is the best product out there. I mean, if you're anybody that has trouble with sleep or or pain or anything like that, I urge you to research and and look up uh, CBD products because it's hands down the best thing that I've ever taken. And it's really helped my quality of life. I mean, I went from every morning getting up and taking 15, 20 minutes just to get my body moving to, I mean, I, I have very little pain now and, and can pretty much do whatever I want. And it's because of CBD. So, um, so I do that. Um, I coached hockey for 15, 16 years. I've taken the last couple of years off. Um, due to some personal stuff that I've been going through, but um, took the last couple of years off and I'm going to get back into coaching again. I love it. Um, I coached high school. I coached, like I said earlier, I coached my son's group. Um, I coached U16s. I coached the USHL, the Indiana, um, or Indi in, yeah, in, in the Indy Ice. So that was fun. So I want to get back into that. Um, I really would like to, you know, get back into the game and give back some more. And um, I, I do some, I just, I just try to stay fit and healthy. And um, I'm actually working on a uh, coaching degree right now, a life coaching degree. Um, I want to be able to get into life coaching. And I think uh, 
you know, throughout my life, I've had a lot of great experiences and I've had some, some loss and made, made some mistakes. And, you know, everyone tells you that, you know, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. So, um, I've been, I'm, I'm studying to be a life coach and kind of want to give back and share my, share my experiences and what I've learned throughout, throughout my life and try to help people uh, the best I can with, with their lives and help them fulfill their, their, um, their goals and dreams and aspirations. So, so yeah, that's what I'm, I'm kind of up to now. Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, Fred, we appreciate it. So we're going to head into our last little bit um, of the interview here. we got about a half dozen questions. It's lightning round questions. So basically we're going to ask a fast question. You can either give us a one or two word answer, or you can give us a story for follow alongs with it. So it's going to be all up to you. So I'll go ahead and start arena. Now this will be considering everywhere that you played. Which arena had the worst ice conditions? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, I would say Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> what about the worst ice conditions in the NHL? We're going to compare it to other players that played around the same time as you, what their answers were. Uh, back then, it was uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah, oh. it, was, it was hollow. It was almost like when you were skated, it was like, it was hollow because we played in the what they called the Thunderdome back then. So it was we actually played what the baseball team played, and uh, the ice was horrible. It was terrible. Who and was your favorite line mate in any of the leagues you played in? Oh, uh, uh, Adam Oates. Adam Oates, nice. Was there any player starting AHL, IHL, or NHL, considering those three leagues, was there any player off the top of your head that had the innate ability to get under your skin? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, not, 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 not that I remember, not really. I mean, um, the thing. I mean, I had a few fights, but it wasn't because they were under my skin. It was just because you wanted to prove to your teammates that you could fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say there was anybody that, that did that. Maybe. Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't, I, I couldn't even, I don't remember anything like that. Now I do. Uh, one person that is always brought up and I, I wanted to ask and see if uh, maybe this player did during the AHL days, but a lot of, uh, and especially he's now the coach of the Tulsa Oilers, but did Rob Murray ever get it under your skin in the AHL days? Oh my God, that's funny. I actually, he was my first ever uh, pro fight. Awesome. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Yeah. We he heard for Springfield, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was my first ever pro fight. So yeah, I would, yeah, maybe him, but uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I forgot about that. That's great. Oh, awesome. Go ahead, Dad. Who is the, who is the toughest goalie to play against? And we know it's not Patrick Rua. <laughs> <laughs> Mar uh, Martin Broder. Okay. He was, a, he was the reason why we lost that series um, the, my rookie year when we beat Montreal and played them. We, we, we actually beat New Jersey. We, were, we had to play in New Jersey the first two games. They had home ice. And we beat them both games. We were up two games to none, you know, <laughs> going back home to the Garden. And uh, and we were up three three to two. And I think, it was, I think we were up three to two in game three. And they scored with like five or six minutes to go to tie it and then beat us in overtime. And uh, went on to beat us four straight, but he, we outshot him, I think, five of the six games, and he just, he, he was just unbelievable. He, uh, he was he, by far the best goalie I, I ever played against. The funniest or most embarrassing moment to happen to you on the ice, either during a game, a warm up, something like that. So Peter Laviolette, who obviously has had an amazing career coaching the NHL um, was one of my best friends in Providence. We were roommates. We did everything together. We hung out. We, we did all kinds of stuff. And and he's a huge prankster. I was never real good at pranks, but um, he would play pranks on guys all the time. And and uh, so I actually had put clear tape on his skate blades one morning before practice. <laughs> he went and kind of was like Bambi on the ice, and we were all dying laughing. And, and Obviously, somebody told him that it was me that did it. <laughs> so um, 
I'm, I'm sitting there and every day I'm like, okay, something's coming. I mean, I know something's coming. And it's every day, every day I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Nothing's coming. I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe he doesn't know that it was me. So about 10 days goes by or whatever. And every day um, for practice start, we have, you know, a, a stretch at center ice. So we're all stretching and everyone's shooting the shit, talking about the night before and day of or whatever. We're all telling stories to where we're stretching. And I've got my back. My back is to the bench. So I'm sitting there stretching. And then all of a sudden, I get the Gatorade, the whole jug of Gatorade, big, huge ice jug of Gatorade. Like you see the coaches get dumped on after they win a game. <laughs> he comes out and this is pregame this is a pre-practice like we haven't even started practice yet and he dumps the entire gatorade thing on on top of my head and my whole body i mean drenched and it was all, <laughs> like, it was so freaking cold and i and i couldn't leave I mean, it was practice was starting and i couldn't leave so yeah, that was I was drenched and had a practice that whole practice. I believe it was only about forty five minute practice. Jeez. So that that was, I'll funny. never forget that one. That was pretty funny. I got another one if you want to hear one more. Oh, absolutely. So I was playing in Worcester um, for the Ice Cats and it was the St. Louis Blues minor league team. And Jimmy Roberts was our coach and again, unbelievable guy, unbelievable coach. Loved him dearly. Well, we our practice arena was at Holy Cross, which was about a 15-minute drive from our home stadium. So we would have to in the morning we'd go to the rink, to our home stadium, we'd get our we get our equipment, we dress part way, you know, put your pants on, shin guards, you know, all that shit. Pile in the cars, and then we drive over to Holy Cross and we'd have practice, and then we'd come back. So it's probably. I don't know, November, December, there's like two feet of snow on the, on the ground. We all, I go in, I get dressed, pack up the car, we take off, we go over to Holy Cross to practice, get into the, into the little dressing area that we have because we didn't have a dressing room. We just had like a little dressing room or dress area that we just put skates on and shoulder pads and, and jerseys and jump on the ice. So I get there and I'm going through my, Get, open my bag and I forgot my skates. So I'm like, oh, oh no. Jeez. So I leave my skates at, at the other rink. So now I'm like, well, what the hell am I going to do? So I, I go and I grab our trainer and, and equipment manager. I said, fuck, dude, I, I, I left my skates. Can you go, you know, no problem. I'll go get them. So he takes off and going to get my skates. So I'm sitting there. I've got my flip flops on and all my equipment and just, wait, just sitting there and on the bench outside of the rink or outside the ice and coach comes in and goes, what the hell are you doing? I said, (laughs) (laughs) I've never done that in my entire life. I've never forgot one thing. I've always, my dad taught me how to check my gear before it never happened to me. I'm I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, I don't know if he's pissed or he's going to, you know, whatever. So he's sitting there. He goes, he goes, get your shit, get out there. I go, coach, I don't have skates. He goes, I don't care. He goes, get out there. (laughs) <laughs> so he makes me go out on the ice in my flip flops, all my other gear on, and line up and run the drills in my flip flops while I wait for my skate. Wow. So I'm out there and we're doing line doing breakouts and line rushes, and I'm out there shimmying along in my flip flops doing line. Doing, breakouts three on twos in my flip flops and all the guys everybody is just in tears laughing it was hysterical <laughs> about 20 minutes later my or half hour later my my, my skate showed up and i practiced the rest of the time and they, it, we ended up getting a great chuckle out of it and it was a great story and funny but yeah that was uh that was a funny one so did your coach That's get awesome. a chuckle out of it at the end or was he oh, still yeah, pretty he mad was, okay was, yeah he was dying <laughs> laughing he thought it was he thought it was hilarious so the last question we're going to ask is, and, and I kind of already know the answer to this because I saw you answer it online somewhere. So other than your game seven winning goal against the Canadians, what is another, just one of your favorite professional hockey memory um, memories from your career? Um, well, maybe you could tell me. You already read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
I, I don't know. I have a few. I, I, I got to go back and, and play in Fort Wayne against the Comets um, when I was with Utah and scored the game-winning goal in a shootout in front of my fan, friends and family. Um, that was amazing. That was a great experience, a great, great memory. I mean, I probably had 100, 100 uh, family and friends in the stands that night, my grandparents and everybody, so that was great. Um, obviously, my first game in the NHL was a great memory, playing in Madison Square Garden. Um, playing in the Montreal Forum. I mean, things that I never dreamed could even be possible um, were, were incredible memories. So, um, yeah, I would say playing in Worcester in front of my, my family in Worcester where I you know, lived until I was 11 years old and got to go back and play there for the Ice Cats in front of my grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. And you know, that was an amazing experience as well. Awesome. Well, um, Fred, what we're going to do here is, is we're going to say officially on air, thank you for coming on, but we are going to pause and we'll say goodbye off the air, but officially we'd like to say thank you for coming on the show, man. We had a great time. Thanks yeah. for you guys having me and, and that was great to, to rehash some of the old memories. Okay, Andrew, we've been waiting to have him on. That was uh he did not disappoint. Great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Great stories. Um, I, I knew that he had grew up in, in Indiana and everything, but I didn't know that he was originally from Massachusetts and that, uh, you know, he wanted to be a Bruin his whole life and the whole story with him being six years old, with the, you know, Montreal Canadiens game. It's pretty crazy how you can live your dreams. Even if you don't expect it, man, you just got to work hard. Well, you know, and, and hopefully we can have him come on, uh, and we can, you know, kind of maybe focus 30 minutes on, you know, just more Bruin stuff, but yeah, I wanted to ask him, but. Uh, it wasn't as important as the other in questions of, you know, what was it like to put on the Bruins sweater of growing up idolizing the team? I mean, he's my age, so I know the era he grew up in. And uh, to put it on for real and not, you know, have to pay, you know, money to buy a jersey, <laughs> that must have been something to say, you know, hey, I've, I made it on this childhood team that, you know, was my, my life growing up. Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine. So it's very cool to talk to somebody that that did and did back in the day, man, when the Bruins and Canadians had a intense rivalry and when hockey was still old school hockey. So, yeah, man, it was a good time. Well, we this is episode 41, correct, Andrew? Yep. Yep. And uh, we've got a do we got our next guest confirmed and lined up? Yeah, so if uh, any of our uh, older ECHL fans that listen, uh, Darren Colburn, two-time ECHL uh, Kelly Cup winner, will be on here uh, the next time. So that will be episode 42 a few weeks down. So that'll be a good one to, to have on as well. Great, great. Well, we will end it here and thank everybody, and we will catch you next time. All righty. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day.